Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hangout on the Holy Land, Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast, the first Hangout on the Holy Land of 2022. I am your host, Gene Ross. Joining me, as always, is Josh Dooley. Josh, before we get to the, you know, the, the very few Ohio State news t- topics that we have to talk about today, uh, how is your new year going? Uh, not too bad, man. Happy new year to you. Uh, kicked off 2022 well. Obviously, got a fantasy final going today, so... Uh, lots cooking, lots going on, but glad to be back with you in the new year. Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing reports that Ohio State played a, played a football game yesterday. Is this is this correct? Uh, I think so. I had a lot of a lot of things going on. I was really dialed in to some uh, some hockey, but yeah, presumably I, I think Ohio State did play a very popular game. <laughs> yes, uh, you, you would think that it is, it is very funny. Uh, to sit here on Sunday after, you know, the pre- pretty much two entirely different halves of Ohio State football. Not so much for the offense, but for the defense in that Rose Bowl game. Obviously, the game we we're referring to is the Rose Bowl, where Ohio State came from behind to defeat Utah 48-45 in front of what was a probably 90% Utah crowd. Those Utes fans really came out and, and supported their team well. It was it was pretty honestly cool to see them all out there. I thought Utah's, um, I thought their jerseys and their helmets looked really nice. I thought the whole, you know, the whole scene in Pasadena is always a really cool place to play. I think that they should try to make that you know i've seen some tweets on it recently they should try to make that that place uh one of the always like an all-time playoff game like it's always at least one playoff game there whether it's the, the championship game or one of the the semis it's just such a cool atmosphere and arena it's always got you know it's a nice sunset seems like the weather is always nice for the rose bowl and all that stuff so you know it, it's it's a really cool place to play it was cool to see ohio state pull out a win uh obviously the game was never in doubt um we were we were fully fully positive about ohio state the entire game and, and nothing bad happened at any points yeah you know uh first and foremost i agree with you on the rose bowl setting i mean pasadena is so cool the flyovers that they do uh they got to find a way to make that a more like a keep it prestigious i guess um it seems like when it when it's not a part of the the college football playoff like a lot of other bowl games it just sort of falls by the wayside but then every year it's like oh no the rose bowl is awesome and everyone sort of gets keyed into it as it uh you know as the ramp up begins so i agree with you there and as for the game Gosh, um, I said this on the instant recap with Chris last night. There was a part of me that at halftime, I was like, I, I don't know how much more I'm going to watch. There's some other things going on. Um, so I, I, I was close, but uh, couldn't quite get there. And I mentioned this before we jumped on the pod, Gene, like there's a small 5% chance or like a 2% chance or 2% of me that sort of wanted the game to continue the way it was trending at halftime because we were going to jump on this morning and I was just going to step back and let you go full ISO ball and ether everything that we saw out there during the first half. But, um, you know, jokingly and fortunately, the Ohio State was able to turn it around. Yeah, I, I certainly had my fair share of takes on the interweb during that game, especially so in the first half. Um, I stand by most of them as we will get to in a little bit, but I want to try to, you know, ring it in the new year. I want to try to be more positive guy. So I'd like to focus on some of the positives. And there were a ton for Ohio State in this game. You know, obviously Ohio State without two of their top receivers coming into this game, uh, you wouldn't if you were a, just a, a neutral observer in this game, not knowing much going into this game, you would have had zero clue that Ohio State was missing anybody on offense because of how good C.J. Stroud, Jackson Smith, and Jigba and the rest of this team played on that mm-hmm. side of the football. 
obviously, you had these guys breaking pretty much every record imaginable. Uh, C.J. Stroud finishes completing 37 of 46 passes for 573 yards, six touchdowns with just the one pick. And then Jackson Smith and Jigba absolutely goes off. 15 catches, 347 yards, three touchdowns. Um, all of those, you know, those records by Jackson Smith and Jigba, the it's the most receiving yards by any any player in any bowl game in FBS history. Uh, his 15 catches were a Rose Bowl record. Uh, both he and Marvin Harrison Jr. scored three touchdowns each. That's a Rose Bowl record. Uh, Stroud broke the Rose Bowl record for passing and touchdowns. Uh, with his performance on Saturday, JSN also broke the Ohio State single-season record for receiving yards, and he's also the first Ohio State wide receiver in the program's history to have multiple games of 200 yards on the year. He also had 240 yards against Nebraska earlier this season. So, you know, we had obviously, me and you have talked all season about how, how well Jack Smith and Jigba has played, how much credit he deserves, and, you know, he obviously didn't get the shine of the other two guys. Uh, it's still insane that none of them were up for the bullet in the cough with how good those three guys were, but it, it does appear that Ohio State is in pretty darn good hands moving forward with Jackson Smith and Jigba and the guys around him. I was really impressed with, you know, we wanted to, we talked last week, we wanted to see a lot of Marvin Harrison Jr. and Mecca Egbuka. I thought they both played phenomenally. Both of them had their fair share of catches. Harrison obviously had the the three touchdown catches. Emeka Ibuka was also phenomenal in the return game, which I think was you know very beneficial to Ohio State's offense when they needed you know to get a few extra yards to get someone went them back with how poorly the defense was playing in the first half. I thought that some of his returns were were big setups for the offense. I think the like late second quarter, the entire that that entire part of the game was just a fever dream of football. I don't really I, I think I just blacked out for a good like eight minutes of play where it seemed like Ohio State would score on every offensive play, then Utah would come back and score. There was a, a kick return by Britton Covey in there. Just a, just a wild football game in general. But at the end of the day, I think you have to be really, really impressed with what Ohio State was able to do on offense without Chris Olave, without Garrett Wilson. Obviously, Jack Smith and Jigba had a massive, massive day. But I think overall, the Ohio State offense played really well. And, and I think a lot of Ohio State fans should be very um, positive and very, you know, looking forward to the future of what this team has at, at, at quarterback and a wide receiver and pretty much all around the ball on the offensive side, at least. I don't even know what you can say, what more you can say about this offense. I, honestly, I had my doubts going into the game and not doubts that Ohio State could put up yards and put up points. I just I didn't know how successful they would be without uh, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson and NPF. We can't forget about him. So, yeah, we saw what JSN was capable of all season. He you know, made a killing underneath. He was a good yards after catch guy. Occasionally took the top off of a defense, but like I wasn't sure how well he would perform as the number one, no questions asked. Undoubtedly, this is the guy number one. And he, you know, proved everything. Uh, I can't say prove me wrong because I thought he'd be solid out there, but Goodness gracious, man. Like he just, he had his way with a depleted Utah secondary, but you're talking about a Utah defense, which is still a top 20, top 25 defense in the country. Uh, yes, they had a running back playing cornerback for them. They also had 10 other guys out there from a really strong defense. So it's not like Utah was out there playing handcuffed with their hands behind their back, right? So they knew the JSN was going to be the guy to watch out for and they still couldn't stop him um he just his route running is so precise he's able to find soft areas in the zone when when uh you know the defense gives them that look 
He obviously doesn't drop anything. Of those 15 catches, he had those 15 catches last night on 16 targets, which is just bananas. I can't even remember the incompletion, to be honest with you. The touchdown catch in the corner of the end zone was insane. So, yeah, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba kind of vaulted himself to wide receiver one, wide receiver two territory going into the 2022 season. Marvin Harrison Jr., gosh, he kind of came out of nowhere. Obviously, he had the high school pedigree, but he looked like a grown man out there. He looked so good. The route running, that uh, sort of selling the slant against Clark Phillips, the third uh, junior or the third, sorry, and then going back out for the back shoulder. That was insane. I thought that the other guys brought enough too. I talked about this with Chris last night. I really like what Julian Fleming brings to the table in theory. I think he's going to be a physical underneath yard after catch guy, which Ohio State, I don't feel like they've had that in a while, like the physical presence I'm speaking, obviously guys like Paris Campbell and Terry McLaurin were able to make things happen, but the way that Julian Fleming has built his strength, I think is going to be an asset moving forward. And Ed Buka showed enough flash, right? But to me, it all goes back to CJ Stroud. He was a surgeon back there in the pocket against this Utah defense Credit to the offensive line. They protected him very, very well. I don't feel like they even really got near him throughout the game. And he was just operating at such a high level. He was able to step up in the pocket, get out of the pocket, go through his reads and just find guys. And then when he found them, his ball placement was insane. I had the numbers up in front of me. And of course, uh, I'm going to lose them real quick. But yeah, 37 for 46. He had the one bad pick, and I think that just goes to he was pressing. He was trying to do too much. They were in comeback mode, poor decision. Uh, Phillips made a great play, which we can talk about him later. He was almost the difference for Utah, and that would have really sucked for Ohio State fans. But this offense, like, it just goes to show you that no matter how poorly the defense plays, you're always going to be in it with Ryan Day whoever is at quarterback, it seems like, and then the wide receivers that Brian Hartline is coaching up, like those guys, that group just seemingly always gives you a chance no matter what. And so we saw that last night. The running game was meh, but Utah's got a great front. They've got a great defense up there, so not completely unexpected. Um, Travion Henderson, Still like to see a little bit more out of him, but I don't know if that's a reflection of him or the run blocking. Like just, you know, the interior stuff is not always there. I feel like they need to get him out on the edge and out in space a little bit more. They didn't really do that. Um, but gosh, I mean, I'm, I'm picking nits, right? I think the, the offense probably deserves an A grade at a minimum and possibly an A plus, right? 
Yeah, I'd say so. Pretty much after the first quarter, they were they were entirely locked in, and it seemed like they could they could score pretty much at will at that point. And you know, like you said, Utah was was down a couple guys in the secondary. You know, they had Micah Bernard out there, who was a running back playing corner at one point. So not not the best Utah secondary, but I did want to touch on Clark Phillips, who I, I think is an absolute dog. He played phenomenally in this game. Like you said, if Utah was the one was to, was to win this game, I think it would have been almost entirely on his shoulders, at least from a defensive effort. Um, you know, I thought Ohio State did a really good job of neutralizing Devin Lloyd. He only had four total tackles in this game. You didn't really hear his name called a ton, and that's a guy who's probably going to be a first-round pick in the NFL draft. But, but yeah, Clark Phillips had an absolutely insane game. He had that pick in the end zone. I'm pretty sure he's also the one that, that forced the fumble from JSN, which is probably the, yep, the, he was the, only, yeah, the only downfall of JSN's entire day was that, that tough you know, fumble, but that was, I think it was just a really good play by Phillips to come from behind and pop it out. Um, so yeah, he's a guy that obviously Ohio State would love to have, would have loved to hold on to his commitment, but he, you know, he, he had a, he probably had a little bit of a chip on his shoulder coming into this game, playing against the team he was originally committed to, and he, he showed out, but to Ohio State's offense's credit, and especially to C.J. Stroud's credit, I thought this is, you know, obviously I think this is one of the best games he's played Ohio State, probably his best game. He was hitting pretty much every throw. There's a lot of open receivers, but there was a lot of times where, you know, he was hitting the rainbow over the top throw. He was hitting throws on the sideline. He was hitting throws in the corner of the end zone. He was hitting, you know, line drives over the middle, the short stuff. He had pretty much everything working at, at all times in this game. It was a lot of fun to watch. Um, some of these throws, like, you know, obviously these receivers get a ton of credit, but some of these throws, uh, you know, one that comes to mind especially was the, the over-the-shoulder throw to Mecca Buka down the sideline. Um, mm-hmm. Just some absolute dimes in this game. You know, another couple catches, the, the t- two of the touchdowns to Marvin Harrison Jr. in the corner of the end zone. Obviously, you know, the go-ahead touchdown late uh, to Jackson Smith and Jigba in the, in the side of the end zone. Like, just some crazy throws with not a lot of room to work, and C.J. Stroud made it work, and these receivers made plays when they had to. Um, yeah, in terms of the running game, I think it all just comes down to the same uh, stuff we've seen from Ohio State's offensive line this year. Uh, pass protection has not been a problem. They've been very good in that area, but the run blocking is still not there. Um, I, I think that's largely in part to the, the mostly tackles offensive line. I think we'll see that improve next year, and I think we will see even more from Trayvon Henderson when that happens because you could clearly see the talent when he's able to get in space. It's just that they weren't, especially on those runs up the middle, like you said, they just aren't able to get a lot of running room for him. I thought mine Williams, you know, he only carried the ball twice, but I thought he looked good on both of his carries. He had some nice, you know, broken tackles, bounce the outside. That seems like the kind of guy that he is. He'll he'll make you miss. He'll he's shifty. He's he's strong. He's a good running back. So I think having them as a one-two punch next year will be a lot of fun. I would like to see them, you know. I hate taking carries away from Trayvon Henderson because he's so good and such a talent, but I think Mayan Williams definitely deserves some touches in this offense, and I think he provides a kind of a different running style than Trey. I, I think that I, I'm with you. I would never want to necessarily take take the ball out of Trayvon Henderson's hands, but we saw him, and I think you mentioned this too, he was banged up it seemed like at some point in every game and part of that I think is due to you know he missed a year of football he's a young guy but I think you make him more effective by keeping him fresher and sort of limiting his touches so I'm with you I know that you are the biggest Mayan Williams guy out there but he brings that physical component so I I completely agree with you that I I would like to see a little bit more of a one-two punch next year to kind of play to both of their strengths, keep Trey, uh, Trey healthy, and then use Mayan Williams in certain, like, you know, when you need that physicality in certain matchups. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to that point, Trayvon Henderson got banged up a little bit in this game. He was down on the yep. turf. He came out for a little bit. So it's, I think it was pretty much every single game this year, Trayvon Henderson got at least some minor injury at some point in the game. So yeah, I think it would be good to keep him a little fresher, rotate those guys a little bit. I don't want to go full 
you know, like when Ohio State was using Mike Weber and J.K. Dobbins on a series-by-series series basis, I thought that was stupid, and I don't think they should do that. But just as, you know, a change of pace, get a guy a breather, rotate a guy in when he's getting tired or when he, you know, needs needs a rest, I think that's the way to go with these two guys, and I think that they both provide a different aspect to this Ohio State offense. But obviously, you know, the passing game is going to be the first and foremost thing in a Ryan Day offense with the quarterbacks he's had and a guy like C.J. Stroud. I, I expect that to continue next year with all this wide receiver talent. I think we'll see. You know, I don't want to spend too much time talking about the future because I know we'll have a ton of time this offseason to talk about it, but I think we'll see a little bit more wide receiver rotation next year than we did this year. Obviously, you know, the three guys that were out there were all, you know, future first-round NFL guys, and I think that'll that, there's a chance that'll be the case again next year. But I think besides Jack Smith and Jacob, who probably won't come off the field next year, I think you could see a lot of these other guys rotate situationally. You know, Marvin Harrison Jr. is kind of that big body. He's, you know, he's, he's got the rest of the tools as well, but he's a great red zone target, a great guy to kind of go up there and get those jump balls. He's a guy that reminds me a lot of almost a, a more polished this point in his career, Michael Thomas. Like he's, you know, Michael Thomas was really good at the end of his career, but I think as a, as a true freshman, Marvin Harrison Jr. looks like he's, you know, he's pretty, pretty close to the, you know, getting there at some point in his career. And I think that he's a very similar player to a guy like Michael Thomas. Like Buka, like I said, you know, has been tremendous in the return game. I think we'll see more of him. I think, you know, Julian Fleming, I think, got banged up in this game as well, which is tough for him because this is another one of those games where it's a, a chance for him to show out without a lot of the other guys ahead of him there. But he's another guy that could contribute. That's another guy that was a number one wide receiver in his respective recruiting class. Uh, we saw Jeremy Rucker catch a trio of passes in his last game at Ohio State. It'll be interesting to see where he goes in the NFL draft. But just tons of talent on this offense. Uh, we saw it all year. It's really a shame that. The defense wasn't up to Ohio State standards or else this team might have been able to make some noise in the playoffs with just how good this offense is. Because, you know, of the teams that are left, obviously we were down to an Alabama-Georgia national title game. I think Ohio State has a better offense than both of those teams. I don't think that's a, a hot take by any means. I know that Bryce Young won the Heisman, and I think that they're really good. But when Ohio State is clicking, and even, you know, even without Olave and Wilson, I think that they're probably the best offense in the country. The stats would tell you that as well. So it is, it is tough, and we'll get to the defense in a little bit. But at the end of the day, uh, really fun game to watch, even though it wasn't early. Um, but at, it was a really exciting finish. Ohio State's offense showed out. CJ Stroud and, and JSN showed why you know they were they were the guys they were. Stroud coming coming off that Heisman thing where he felt slighted that he was the the fourth the fourth place in the voting, uh, and he came out here with a vengeance in his home state and, and showed out in a big way. Yeah, I have two questions, and one's more sort of general, but one is very specific to this offense in this game. Um, the first one is how surprised are you or were you at the success that they had? Um, you know, obviously we saw how proficient they were during the season, but I, I don't think that we expected this. So like one to 10, what's your shock meter? And then number two, just sort of generally speaking, is this one of the more exciting games that you can remember in the last, I don't know, however many years, extend your Ohio State fandom back as far as you want to. Um, so how about those two? How surprised are you just by their performance and the game itself? How kind of entertaining was it? Yeah, I don't want to say I'm like totally surprised because we knew this talent was there. And obviously we'd seen what Jackson Smith and Jigaboo was able to do as a number three guy. So to have him move up to the number one, obviously I wasn't expecting him to have a 350-yard day. And I wasn't expecting Stroud to pass for nearly 600 yards. But I expected those guys to continue their connection. We've seen a little bit of what Marvin Harrison and Mecca Buga could do in, in limited time this year. We saw you know Marvin Harrison Jr. kind of show out at the spring game. I was really excited to see what he could bring to the team. And he he brought pretty much everything I expected and more. So I wouldn't say I'm surprised. One of the 10, I'd probably say about like a five just because like 
it was just such a, a such a crazy offensive output. So, so the numbers they put up were ridiculous. But I think that you know the way that they are able to score, the way that they're able to move the ball around, we've seen. Stroud be able to find a wide open JSN all season long. Uh, I saw a good tweet out there. You know, seven seven eleven always open. I think that'll be a good <laughs> good slogan for next year with Stroud and JSN wearing seven and eleven respectively. Um, but yeah, I, I wasn't totally surprised. Obviously, the 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 numbers they put up were surprising by any means, and I think you know nobody is expecting any of that to happen. All these records to be broken in a game like this. But at the end of the day, we knew the talent was there, and we knew they were capable of it. In terms of Excitement. I mean, it, it was definitely up there. As far as, you know, obviously Ohio State didn't reach their ultimate goal of, of playing for a national title and playing in the playoffs, but as far as a consolation prize goes, the Rose Bowl is a pretty good one, and the way this game played out was was pretty good for them. I think this was really important for them because, you know, they're, they're coming off a loss to Michigan. They have Notre Dame at home next year. Um, so it could have been a, it could have been a tough stretch here for Ohio State. I think winning this game was important. You know, Ryan Day talked afterwards about how Demario McCall was the one who stepped up in the locker room and kind of gave an impassioned speech, and it was kind of a player led movement in the second half to to turn things around. Ohio State easily could have just taken their foot off the gas once they went down fourteen nothing and just said, you know, you know, Utah just wants this more. This isn't our day, and like we are, just want to go home. But they didn't. They they turned things around. They they tried their ass off. The defense turned things around. The second half only allowed ten points. Um, and the offense just kept clicking. So I, I think, you know, as far as excitement goes, it was definitely up there. And it doesn't have, you know, it doesn't have the same prestige as the playoff game. It's not going to be, I, I think, you know, the, the Clemson game in the playoffs maybe have been, I don't know if it was more exciting because it was kind of an Ohio State blowout. But yeah, this game was was pretty wild. It was definitely, I didn't see this comeback coming. Like you said, you were close at halftime being like, I don't know how much more of this I could take. I was I was there as well. You know, it was, it was like, if Utah came out here and scored two more touchdowns, I'm not not watching the rest of this. These guys clearly don't want it, but they showed that they, they did want it in that second half. And I was really happy to see that. Yeah, to answer my own question, as far as the game, it's probably up there in like the top five excitement level. Uh, I wouldn't say it was the greatest or one of the greatest because obviously, you know, your national titles are going to be up there. You can probably pick a couple different Michigan games, but the entertainment factor was, yeah, probably top five for me. And I think the only surprise as far as the offense goes, because I know we want to transition to the defense, the only kind of big surprise for me was Marvin Harrison Jr. I, five catches all year and he had six in this game, the three touchdowns. I wouldn't have been surprised to see this like, I don't know, week one next year against Notre Dame on a big stage, but for him to kind of show out the way he did um, as a true freshman, not having really played much this year on the Rose Bowl stage before, I don't know, you know, sometimes you're kind of, too dumb to know better or too ignorant to know better. You don't realize how big the moment is. Maybe that sort of played into his performance, or maybe he's just going to be that damn good. Uh, obviously he learned a thing or two from his dad who played in some big games and things like that. So that was the big surprise for me. Not that he went out and performed admirably, but that he went out and performed as well as he did. So I think that's just, you know, let's get to next year already. I'm ready to go with these wide receivers. Yeah, and, and another big reason why we're looking forward to next year is some of the changes that are coming on defense. Obviously, Jim Knowles is coming in for next season, but he was not coaching in this game. And uh, boy, could Ohio State have used him. Before we before I kind of go scorched earth on this defense, I did want to give a huge shout-out to Tommy Eichenberg because this is a guy yes. who at the beginning of the year was on the list of guys that were seemingly unplayable on this defense. And he quickly became one of Ohio State's probably best linebackers by the end of the year. He led the team in this game with 17 total tackles with one tackle for loss and 11 solos. Uh, he, he, you know, as far it, It's tough to pick individual performances on a defense that played poorly for probably you know 45 minutes of this game entirely. And like there was... 
especially in the first half, not much positives to really bring to the table at all. Um, so as far as individual performances go, I think Tommy Eikenberg played played pretty well in this game. I think he he made a lot of big steps over the course of the season, and I think that you know I, I'm impressed with what I've seen from him. So for a guy that you know we were hard on earlier in the year, and I think deservedly so, I think he made huge strides this season and was probably one of the most improved players on that Ohio State defense over the course of the season. I agree with you, and I'm going to uh, call back to something I said last night. He is a rich man's tough Borland. All right. So we know how um, we've spoken about tough Borland. I, I think the Ohio State fandom and fan base knows plenty about tough Borland. I love Tommy Eichenberg, man. Like he is not perfect in every matchup. We've seen him struggle in coverage. He got beat on the wheel route, although he was he was there, you know, and that was a great catch by Micah Bernard for, I think it was Utah's second touchdown, if I'm not mistaken, in the corner of the end zone. But against a lot of teams, I think Tommy Eichenberg is going to be one of those guys moving forward at linebacker. Um, Just his instincts have gotten better throughout the season, but more than that, like he has learned how to play aggressively play downhill, play fast. Like there was so much, he was so tentative in the beginning of the season. That makes sense, right? He was inexperienced. We saw like in the Oregon game, he got torched anytime there was any sort of motion or misdirection or anything like that, but he worked his butt off. And of those 17 tackles, I mean, 11 of those were solo. He had a tackle for loss and he was one of the only guys that played with any damn energy. In the first half, I think it was probably Tommy, Teron Vincent and Cade Stover. Those were the guys out there that seemed like they were pissed off that they were getting scored on every single drive. So, um, yeah, I'm with you on Tommy, you know, big shout out to him. I'm not going to say he saved the game for this defense because I think in the second half, they all sort of rose up. But I'm with you. If you have to identify one guy, Tommy, was that was that guy last night? Yeah, and, and the three guys you named, really, Eichenberg, Vincent, and Stover, probably the only three guys I have much of anything positive to say about. And I don't think it's I don't think it's the players' fault. I think it's probably 70% coaching and 30% players why this defense is so bad. Um, I saw a, a tweet out there saying that, you know, Ohio State's defense doesn't really, doesn't look like a unit. They just look like 11 guys wearing the same jersey on the same field. Like, yeah. and it's, it's entirely true. Like this, this unit was entirely poorly coached. They had no idea what they were supposed to be doing that there's, you know, I can't say they weren't executing because I don't think the plan they're supposed to execute was any good or, or cohesive in any way. Um, so I, I just, I am very excited to, to get some changes on this defensive staff. Hopefully we see more. Uh, we already know of one that we'll get to in a little bit, but yeah, th- this defense is bad. Um, I don't want to pick on any individual players too much. Cause like I said, I just don't think that they were properly coached at any point in this season. Um, you know, Kerry Combs began the years at DC had, had never really done this before he had, he did it last year. Wasn't good at it. Came back this year, still wasn't good at it. Uh, Matt Barnes tried to take over and, you know, I guess it helped a little bit when they were playing worse opponents, but it, it still wasn't any good. Um, and, you know, I've been tough on Twitter for on, on Ryan Day as the head coach, and I, I stand by pretty much everything I said because this is, at the end of the day, Ryan Day builds his staff. And while it isn't his sole, you know, it isn't his responsibility to control the defense, he's the one who hires the defensive, the defensive staff and his entire staff in general. And so, 
you know, obviously I think he's done a tremendous job by bringing in Jim Knowles, and I hope that that has a big impact on next year. But at the end of the day, you know, it, there's, a, there's a good chance that his defensive hires cost Ohio State one, at least one national championship in one of these last two years because their offense was certainly good enough to get the job done, but the defense was just so bad. So I, I think my criticisms of him are warranted. I am, you know, I think if Ohio State has a bad defense again next year, there are going to be a lot of questions thrown around about this staff as a whole. I don't really see a reason to bring back anyone on this staff. Uh, defensive side of the ball wise, I mean, you know, I, I guess Larry Johnson can can hang around because he's a great recruiter and he's a legend in his respective game. But Ohio State's defensive line hasn't played particularly well the last two seasons either. So, you know, I just I am I'm out on pretty much everyone on this defensive staff. I'm looking forward to what Knowles brings if he you know if he brings in additional staff or whatever he does on this side. But it it can't get any worse than it was this year. I'm and I think that. I think that the talent is too good to be this bad on the field. I don't, you know, I don't think guys like, you know, there's there's a certain, there's a couple guys on this team that probably shouldn't be playing, and we, we know who I'm talking about there in the back end of that defense. But, you know, the guys like Cam Martinez and, and Denzel Burke and Cam Brown like and Ronnie Hickman, I think these are guys that are very coachable and guys that, ha- given the right instruction, could be very good players. And, you know, on the defensive line too, you know, J.D. Tuimaloa, Jack Sawyer, all, all these guys have a chance to be really, really good next year if they're given the proper coaching. And so I'm hoping that's what we see, but we certainly didn't see in this game. Obviously, they stepped up in the second half but you know it was just more of the same in the first half of what we've seen all season this Ohio State defensive coaching staff just had zero clue what they were doing they were beat repeatedly by the same plays over and over again lacking toughness lacking any any sort of football IQ on the field and I just it was it's tough to watch at points honestly it cuts so deep when you say that Ryan Day's um, you know staff could have cost Ohio State at least one national title (laughs) over the last couple of years but I can't disagree with you um I will, I think it comes down to this. I think that Ryan Day is still a young coach in head coaching years. So I think that what we saw, what we've seen the last couple of seasons, it's all part of the growth and the growing pains. And I think that last year was, you know, a shot across the bow. And then the way that this season ended, I think it, is and was a huge wake-up call to Ryan Day. I think that's why he went out and got Jim Knowles, who a lot of teams and a lot of schools wanted. He got aggressive. He got aggressive fairly early, and he went out and got the guy that he wanted. So, yeah, I think that the staff has um, underperformed on the defensive side of the ball. I think it's hard to argue with any of that. But I, I think some of that is just due to Ryan Day's sort of newness to the job. I even think the to make Kerry Combs the defensive coordinator was something where, you know, that Combs was a guy who accomplished a lot at Ohio State. He was a well-respected and well-liked guy. And so Ryan Day was willing to go out on a limb and give him a chance. I think the giving guys a chance based on past precedent or past performance, I think that's gone now. So I think that this will be a good thing moving forward, even if it was, you know, a real downer to, to finish the way that they did the last couple of seasons, but to defend the staff a little bit. um, I know that Larry Johnson was asked to help with some of the game planning this year. Once Combs was more or less demoted. So I wonder if that took away from what he was doing strictly as a defensive line coach. So I want to see them get back to where Larry Johnson is asked to do Larry Johnson things, which is work exclusively with the defensive line, make sure that those guys fit into the scheme, fit into the game plan, and they're coached up the way that he has done 
in years past. The defensive line has underperformed, but there's so much talent and they did so much like the rotations. I think it just got too much. And so I think if they dumb it down a little bit and get back to simplicity and hopefully they've got some studs in that room, I'm not too worried about Larry Johnson moving forward. And really, if Kerry Combs is willing to take on that secondary role, that's his bread and butter. He was one of the best secondary coaches in college football for a while. So I think if you just let him focus on that part of the game, I think he can be a huge asset. And he's, you know, we talked about it when he first got demoted, some of the things that he had to, he came out and he, he had to say, he's captain Buckeye. I think that his players really love him. I think that he's always going to give his best for Ohio state and for the university. And if that's not good enough, then so be it. But if they're willing to put him back in a role that he's familiar with, maybe you you sort of shore up some things that were sort of givens in years past, right? Like you, you just knew you could count on Larry Johnson's defensive line. And you just knew that you could count on Kerry Combs's defensive secondary. So for me, it's in the middle and it's game planning. I I don't know where I'm at on Al Washington. I really don't. Um, I don't think I'm very high on him. I don't know what reason he's given me to be so. Um, besides, I don't know, maybe the development of a Pete Werner. If you want to give him credit for that, Pete Werner got a lot better as his, as his career went on. But outside of that, I'm just, I'm not real sure what he's bringing to the table. I know he's highly respected as a recruiter and they're bringing in CJ Hicks, Gabe Powers, Sonny Styles. So maybe that gives him a little bit um, more leeway, but yeah, something has to change. You can't just bring in Jim Knowles and sort of let him cook. I think that there need to be some fundamental changes and fundamental differences from what we saw this year and I'm interested to see what that's going to be moving forward. Yeah, this staff overall just seem to have a problem with with personnel in general, like just not knowing who to have on the field on what down or, or pretty much at any point in any game. It was it was just really odd to see. Like at one point in this game, I think it was the first or second touchdown Utah scored. They had Zach Harrison out there playing zone like a linebacker, and it's mm-hmm. like, what are we doing out here, guys? Like it just doesn't make any sense with the guys they have. Like they, it's it makes these players look so much worse when they're they're put in positions where they just they have no chance to succeed. Zach Harrison is not a a zone linebacker, and as much as we've talked about him. You know, potentially playing the Leo next year if he comes back, he's not going to be dropping back into pass coverage against a tight end like that. So it's it's you know it was it was tough to watch that. I just think that they they put these players in position to fail. You know, you brought up Al Washington. I, I'm kind of indifferent on him. I, you know, I guess if you want to give him credit for guys like Pete Werner, Tommy Eichenberg, even like Steel Chambers making the move to linebacker, I guess that's that's fair. Um, and, and like you said, they are bringing in guys like C.J. Hicks and Gabe Powers in that room next year. They'll have uh, Sonny Styles coming in at probably a safety, which is good considering the guy they had back out there this year. And they'll obviously get get Josh Proctor back next season from his injury. So they will have reinforcements next year. I think a lot of the talent will be there. And like you said, they just they have to kind of clean this staff up. You can't keep running these guys back out there. In terms of Kerry Combs, I've been as hard as anyone on Kerry Combs this year, and I think that's been well documented. But at the end of the day, I would love to see him 
go back to coaching the corners and safeties. I think he's really good at the secondary job. And I also want to see him back on the field. I think that he brings yeah. tremendous energy with him. That, that guy's a walking can of Red Bull, and I think the players really respond to it. He's obviously phenomenal on the recruiting the recruiting trail. So I, I would love to see him, if he's willing to, you know, step back into that secondary role. I think that's where he's his best, um, you know, and I think that's what would suit Ohio State the best. But you know, if he's not willing to do that, I think you gotta, you know, you might have to let him walk. You can't let him coach defense next year. Obviously, that's gonna be Jim Knowles' job and Jim Knowles' job only. So, you know, if 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 Combs is still on staff, he's gonna be doing something else. And I think that that would be the best spot for him. And other than that, you know, I guess we could touch on it now that we're talking about it. Uh, Matt Barnes will not be returning next year. He has taken a job at Memphis. So that is that is one member of Ohio State staff that we know will be different next year. Matt Barnes will not be with them. Uh, you know, I, I don't really have. You know, anything negative or positive to say about Matt Barnes, I guess, you know, he filled in admirably for, you know, trying to call plays, hadn't having never done it before. And, and he was OK at it. But I don't think, you know, losing him is a, is a big deal. And I think that it was probably, a, you know, a necessary move for Ohio State to continue changing up this defensive staff. But yeah, you know, overall, I, I, I am excited for the direction of the Ohio State defense. Like we've talked about, there's a ton of young talent on this team, especially up front, especially that's coming in at linebacker. You know, they have they have guys in that room at corner and safety that, that could potentially step up next year and be really good. So all the, the pieces are certainly there on the field with the player side, with the personnel side. They just need to get the coaching together. And I'm hoping that Knowles and whatever other combination of guys they, they get rid of and bring in is, is good enough to do that. So you know, it wasn't a good performance for Ohio State's defense. It was, you know, once again, they, they weren't great. It was what's cost Ohio State this season is that that defense was so poor at times and especially, you know, lacking a lot of lacking toughness, too, which is just another issue in itself. I'm not going to get into a whole Mick Marotti discussion, but as a, as one of the last Urban Meyer holdovers, I, I think it's, you know, maybe, maybe look into some other options there as well. I don't really, once again, I'm, I'm indifferent there, I guess. I'm not going either way. I wouldn't hate it if he left. I wouldn't hate it if he stayed. It just seems like he's kind of past this time, but at the end of the day, you know, I like I said, I am I am generally positive on the direction of Ohio State's defense. They didn't do anything in this game to make me really think that, other than their their second half spirited performance. But um, I think with the the changes coming, the personnel coming, the personnel they have, I think it's 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 going to be better next year because it it can't be worse, I guess. I think that what they needed, or you know, what they've lacked, is like that profound, proven presence as a defensive coordinator. Kerry Combs came in very highly respected coming back from the NFL, but he had never been a defensive coordinator before. Then he was sort of demoted. Matt Barnes steps up and I think credit to him. I think he was put in a very difficult situation and he's a little bit of a younger guy. So I think it's a bit early for him to start taking demotions, which is probably at a minimum what he was in store for here at Ohio state. So he's moving on and best of luck to him. <clears throat> so they didn't have that proven sort of general out there. This is my unit, my room. Here's how we're going to do it because I've been successful before. So I think by default, they're going to be in a better situation because of what Jim Knowles is bringing to the table. So I think that that alone will help. And the continued development of guys and letting these coaches just focus on something. Like I said, I think that once they got out to a bad start this year, I think that it became sort of this group think thing. And it took away, it took all those coaches away from their sole responsibility. Now, obviously, they should all have some sort of input on the game plan and adjustments and things like that. But I think with the problems they had, everyone was asked to do a little bit more and everyone was asked to do a little bit of something that they weren't either comfortable with 
or used to. So I think it just sort of snowballed into too many cooks in the kitchen and those cooks just not being chefs. You know what I mean? Like they weren't, that's not what they're used to. They're not all defensive coordinators. And they were, it was sort of like they were all asked to be 10% of the defensive coordinator. So I think better organization and things like that will help them in the long run. And I think that this performance was ugly at times, but I think that they'll get some good experience moving forward. A couple other guys that we really didn't bring up explicitly. Court Williams was out there. We saw a ton of him. He's a guy that I know you have called for all year, and I was supportive too. I just didn't know how healthy he was, but Court Williams had six solo tackles. He had the one sack. Um, Excuse me. So he was good. Cade Stover, gosh, I mean, I could see him sticking at linebacker. Yeah, but why, if that happens, why was Cade Stover playing tight end? What are we doing? He could. I think there's a chance he could have been think, Ohio State's second best linebacker this year if he'd been playing defense. I, I am I'm inclined to agree with you on that. I think that he made a team first move by moving to tight end and it showed like it, it, he showed some improvement as the year went on as a pass catcher and a blocker. But gosh, when you look at the depth now at tight end, had he not moved there to back up Jeremy Ruckert, who else would have done it? And looking forward to next year, like that's a concern of mine is tight end because if Cade Stover moves off the ball, what are we doing? Is Joe Royer your number one guy or do they just get away from the tight end, which it's probably something they could do too. I don't know if Mitch Rossi could come back for another year. He's sort of my spirit animal, but um, he's six foot. He's two fifty. He's a bowling ball. He's not a real tight end. So um, I just think that was a team first by necessity move, but that'll be another one of those things that they have to figure out going forward. But it was good. I think that those guys, got involved and got experience. They were forced into it with some of the opt-outs and the injuries and things like that. But I also thought JT2 and Milau looked pretty decent, especially in the first half. I didn't see a whole lot of him during the second, but he stepped up in the first half. So I, I do think, though, that this defense personnel and staffing-wise, like I think it's going to look very very different next year. I don't know if any other coaches come and go because, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to turn over the whole staff? I don't know if that's the right move, but as far as personnel goes, you've got to figure out the front four and then you've got to figure out the linebackers, whether that's two linebackers, three linebackers, whatever you do there. Uh, You know, I think everything is on the table. I, I do not think that and tell me if I'm wrong. I think that the only person or, you know, maybe there's a couple people, Denzel Burke is probably guaranteed a position. I think that Tommy Eichenberg is ta- is probably guaranteed a position. Cam Brown and I don't know, JC2 and Milau. Are those four guys like the only givens? Do you have anybody else who it's like, yep, they're definitely starting day one? Um, I don't know the the like class status of Teron Vincent, but I would imagine if he's back, then he will be starting because he he looked good in this game, and I think that he's you know he was a high obviously a high regarded recruit coming in. He's had a lot of injury troubles coming up to this year, but you know I think as the year went on, he got better and better. I wouldn't be surprised to see him at defensive tackle. I'd imagine Tyleek Williams would start, and maybe 
you know, I, we, we still are waiting to see what's happening with Zach Harrison, but obviously that other defensive end spot will probably be between him and Jack Sawyer. Um, yeah, the linebackers are kind of a crapshoot. There's a lot of new guys coming in, you know, in addition to Diamante Trainum, who's coming over from Arizona State and converting to linebacker. It'd be interesting to see how him and, you know, Steel Chambers, as they both continue to learn a new position, see how they move into the depth chart. Um, like you said, corners, it's really Denzel Burke and everyone else. And there are guys like Jordan Hancock and J.K. Johnson who are highly regarded recruits who have a chance to step up next year. Um, Cam Brown had his ups and downs this year, obviously coming off that Achilles injury. It'll be interesting to see what happens with him. Uh, seven banks. I don't really know if he's going to be on this roster next year. It seems like he's a, a transfer portal candidate. He obviously he wasn't was playing. He was at the game. Correct? He was at he the was game. The I think sideline. he. Yeah, I think he was in a. I think he was. I don't know if he was hurt or if he just wasn't playing with the team. But I'm pretty sure he was there. Obviously, he didn't play. You know, wouldn't be surprised if he was a guy who who would who hit the portal this off season. But who knows with him? And then obviously at the safety spot, um, I, if if Bryson Shaw is is starting next year, I'm quitting the podcast. Um. <laughs> they they will they will have Josh Proctor back. They will have Sonny Styles coming in. Uh, I will play safety if they need me to. We cannot do that again. Um, sorry to number seventeen, but that was just an abysmal season from start to finish. You, you saw early in the game. I think it may have been on the first drive. He got steamrolled too on a run. Like he came up in run support. He got in position. He was about to make the right play. And just steamrolled, man. He got run right over. Yeah, and on the long run by Cam Rising on that fourth down play where he ran the length of the sideline, uh, I, I rewatched it this morning. Uh, he, he was the number seventeen was standing there looking at the pile, and he was like in front of three of Ohio State's defenders, which is never good if you're a safety to be like in the second line of defense when there's three guys behind you. And then he just kind of turned around as Cam Rising ran past him, and then he's like, "Oh crap, I'm the last guy that's supposed to be back there," and he just kept going. So not not the best performance from Ohio State secondary. Can we stop year, on that play? Like that was one of the most embarrassing plays by a defense, an Ohio State defense I can remember in a long time. I think that's just that play was a microcosm of Ohio State's just defensive season as a whole. They just they weren't sound on on you know important downs. But I, I do want to say like as we kind of like put a put a bow on this game and kind of wrap up like everything that's happened in this. Um, as a team overall, I, I think this was a really important win for Ohio State with the way that the yes. game unfolded. They, they, this is a team that you know at, at times in the last year and a half, I'd say, you know, when they go down early, they they struggle to to find the the heart to to come back. You know, we saw it last year against Alabama in the title game. We saw it this year against Michigan. When they get punched in the mouth early, they do not respond well. And in this game, they responded incredibly well. You know, this game looked like it was going to get out of hand at multiple points in the game. They never quit on it though. And you know, this is a game they didn't. You know, nobody was coming into this game being like, Ohio State has to win this Rose Bowl, but this is a game that they clearly felt, you know, inspired at halftime. Like I said, it was it was a more of a player-driven uh, movement at halftime to kind of turn things around and, and really step up and focus and, and get this win at the end of the day. So I, I think this was a really important win for Ohio State. You didn't want to come into 2022 coming off two straight losses with a really tough opponent coming in. You know, I don't know how what, what the, you know, the, the morale would have been on the team. And obviously you have a whole long offseason to prepare, but there would have been a really bad taste in their mouth coming off this season. And now they could at least, you know, build on some of the things they had in this game. Build on, you know, a lot of these young players got a chance to play in this game. Like you said, we saw a lot more Court Williams. We saw Cade Stover move back to linebacker. There's a lot of young talent there that got a few snaps here and there. Um, but I, I think this is a valuable experience for them. A really, a really good game, a really tough environment, too, in front of like a, a really pro Utah crowd. So I think a lot of this is a good learning experience for the young guys. And I think at the end of the day, while it wasn't a playoff game, obviously, it wasn't a big, you know, conference title win or a national championship game. I think it was a, a big win for Ohio State and it's something they can really build off in 2022. I think they showed a ton of resolve and I'm with you. I think this is a game they can use to springboard forward. This is one of those games that 
Well, and really the end of the season, this is something where you look back at when things are tough next year, when you're doing, you know, two a days next year, whatever you're doing, those grueling practices, those, those lifting sessions, you look back and you say, Hey, you remember when that team up North kicked our ass and Utah was going to kick our ass? What did we do? You know, we, we reached down deep. We found something, we showed that resolve. We found that toughness and that spirit that we were lacking for a time and that's what that's what should fuel you moving forward in in next season. So it, it was potentially a very ugly situation that they really sort of they rescued and they saved. And I, I keep using the word resolve, toughness, whatever you want to call it. They showed a lot of that. And I think it's it's so cool that Demario McCall was apparently the one who gave the speech at halftime. You want to talk about a guy who has showed some of those character attributes, right? He, I think he was at Ohio State for seven seasons. He played more positions than that. You know, it was wide receiver, running back, kick returner, punt returner, secondary, quarterback, defensive tackle, like whatever. He was willing to do it, and he never had a ton of success, but he kept grinding. He remained involved and positive, and I, like I said, I just I think it's really cool that he gave that speech. And I also think it's sort of interesting that, I, and I think I read this correctly online, Ryan Day is usually the rah-rah guy. I would imagine Kerry Combs is the same way. They were not involved. That was purely a player-driven. I don't even know if Ryan Day was in like the same sort of vicinity or that same area. Maybe they were just speaking to the defense. But Ryan Day, from what I read, was not involved. And I think that's that's interesting, but that's not a knock against him either. I think that sometimes you have to sit back as – I'm not a coach, but you have to sit back as a leader sometimes and just let your, let your team, let your guys, let your girls, let whomever figure it out um, because there's only so much you can do as a coach or as a leader to say, hey, guys, hey, girls, do better be better, do this differently. Sometimes they just have to find it within themselves. And I think this is one of those situations where Ryan Day let them do that. So I do think it'll be a positive thing moving forward because they don't get any breaks. Like they need to be ready to go week one with a tough opponent who had their own collapse, which is just super unfortunate. Hate to see that Notre Dame still can't win a New York six or uh, a new year six or a BCS game. They're over their last 50 going back three decades now, but um, that's something else entirely. This should be a very good thing for Ohio state football moving forward, despite how it looked in the beginning. Yeah. Someone with Notre Dame minus one and a half and a parlay. We did really hate to see that. Um, but and, Ouch. <laughs> in terms of this game, uh, yeah, I completely agree. You know, Demario McCall seems like a really good dude. He's been through a lot of Ohio state. There was a pretty cool photo of him post game, just kind of standing amidst a sea of confetti, just taking it all in. So to, for a guy like that, to have that big moment at halftime, make that big speech while he wasn't, you know, he was never able to really be a significant contributor to Ohio state. He's been here forever. He's been through a lot. He's like you said, he's played pretty much every position on the team to try to make a difference. And so it was good to see a guy have a moment like that. You know, a couple other guys that we didn't really touch on that don't really get a lot of love, but were also important in this game. Uh, Noah Ruggles, kid didn't really miss all year, hit both of his field goals in this one, including the game winner, all six extra points. Uh, he was money all year as a kicker. I don't know his status either. I don't know if he'll be back next year, but if he is, that would be great because he was a very, very good kicker for Ohio State this season. And then also on special teams, uh, 
Shout out to Ohio State club football legend Chris Booker for making the game ceiling <laughs> tackle on Britton Covey on the on the final kick return in the last few seconds. So just two guys that don't really get a ton of love, but both played a, a big role in their respected areas. Outside of Noah Ruggles, though, do you think the special teams unit deserves any sort of credit? Uh, I don't know why we kept kicking to Britton Covey after he returned it once. That yeah. was a questionable decision. I also don't know why Parker Fleming is employed on this team. I think special teams coordinator is a made-up fake job, and I don't think we need to add an assistant to do it. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I think, you know, it wasn't the best. Uh, it wasn't the worst, though. You know, like I said, on special teams, there was, you know, the, the, the return side of special teams I thought was really good. Ibuka had seven returns for 163 yards, yeah, averaging yeah, around good. 24 yards. Uh, the the return side of special teams was good. The kick coverage, not so much. But, you know, other than the one, I, I guess he had two kind of big returns. But other than the long touchdown, I, it wasn't something that really hurt Ohio State in the end, but it's definitely something you'd want to clean up. That was something that Urban Meyer always preached with special teams, and they were generally pretty good at it under him. So I don't think special teams was an issue for Ohio State this year. I think that was the only kick return they allowed all season. So nothing I'm overly concerned about. But yeah, that was it's not what you want to see, especially when Ohio State at that time was kind of trying to claw back and gain some momentum. That was a real killer. But that was in that, that fever dream of a blackout of the second quarter, so it doesn't even count. I just don't like the the short kickoffs. I think if you've got somebody on the team who can kick it through the end zone, you do it because you know exactly where the offense on the other team is going to start. You don't give them an opportunity to return it as much as I love the return game. Like I I hate the fair catch rule with every fiber of my being, but if you've got a dangerous guy on the other side, kick it through the end zone if you can. Um, but yeah, I mean, Covey's dangerous. I think that was his sixth or his seventh return touchdown. Granted, he's got an edge. He's 28 years old. Uh, he's been doing all sorts of stuff in Utah. I, I have to assume he went on like a, a Mormon mission or something to sit out two years. But um, the old guy pulling out some tricks out there, good for him. I, I just, I, I hate that kickoff. I, if you... Give them an opportunity to take advantage of it. You're going to come across a team who does so. And that's what Utah did because he, the other one he had late in the game uh, got them to what, like the 40, 45 yard line, short field, set them up to make it interesting. So that's the one thing that I was opposed to. But yeah, Ibuka was really great in the return game all year. We thought he was going to pop one at some point. And he came really, really close a handful of times. So you've got all you could ask for next year. You know, he's probably going to be, what, wide receiver three, wide receiver four, and a really danger, dangerous kick returner. So I'm with you. I don't know Ruggles' status. I hope that he comes back because he was one of the most dependable kickers Ohio State has had in a really long time. I think he missed one or two kicks this year. And that was just a good, it was a good safety blanket. I don't know about you. But once Utah tied the game up, I had no concerns. I was like, look, CJ Stroud's going to get the ball back. All he needs to do is get down to the 20. And I'm supremely confident they win the game. So that's a good feeling to have and a good thing to have in your arsenal when you're so confident in your kicker that you're like, look, go and get us 40, 50 yards, whatever it is, get down to that opposing 20 and we're set. Yeah, and if it wasn't for poor timeout usage, they probably would have just scored a touchdown on that final drive. They really didn't have the the time to to ch- to chance it on that. They they kicked the, the field goal on second down because they had no time. Well, so I think though, what I read is there was an injury timeout. I cannot confirm it. I can't back it up, but I saw it somewhere online that there was an injury timeout. And so rather than go back out there and and run a play and then use the timeout, I think Brian Day was just like, okay, fine. If there's a stoppage. We'll go with it. Or it could have been an Ohio State player 
but I don't, I, like I said, I cannot verify that. It's just something I read. Yeah. Regardless, like you said, though, there's nothing I trusted more than the Ohio State offense in that in that scenario. Once the you know once Utah tied it, like you said, it was like okay, well Ohio State's just going to go down and, and score and win this game now because that's just how this game has gone and that's how Ohio State's offense has been in this game and pretty much all year. So that was yeah. There's, there's nothing I trusted more than Ohio State's offense. Nothing I trusted less than Ohio State's defense, and that was the the case for the for the for the 2021 season as a whole, and that was the case for the most part in this game. Uh, just to just to kind of put a bow on things and and wrap up. I don't know if you have any other final thoughts. I did want to mention uh, we didn't bring it up before, but it, it did appear Lathan Ransom suffered a pretty pretty serious injury in that game. I uh, left left the game in an air cast on the cart. Seemed pretty as leg injury. So hopefully you know he gets well soon. Hopefully he he's ready to go for next season. And hopefully he's you know has a has a speedy recovery. So that was tough to see. But other than that, I think that um, Ohio State escaped this game pretty unscathed. Um. And, and I think that they're 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 as much looking forward to next season as we all are. So it's a good way to to cap off the their season, a good way to start off 2022 with a win. Um, and and I think that yeah, overall it's it's a, there's a lot to be positive about. Even though you know a lot of the defensive struggles are still there, I think that there's enough in place and enough coming in where uh, we hope that that'll be better. And from what we saw from the young guys on offense, it doesn't look like that's going to fall off anytime soon either. For me, I think I'm hopeful that it's how you end. Right. Ohio State had some struggles. They lost two games this year, but they came together during, um, you know, a, a tough game, a tough situation, a ton of guys out. And they showed that resolve. They came together as a team and as a staff and as a unit and they figured it out. And, you know, they won the granddaddy of them all. And it's going to be a game that people remember for years to come. Sure, it wasn't a playoff game, but. Guess who nobody's guess what nobody is going to remember in years to come? Michigan getting the doors blown off of them and Cincinnati just not having the firepower to play with Alabama for 60 minutes. So people are going to remember this Rose Bowl game. They're going to remember the crazy comeback, just the the silliness and the oddities that happened during the second quarter. They're going to obviously remember CJ Stroud's performance and JSN's performance and things like that. So very cool way to end it, even if it's not the end that you wanted at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I, I was considering doing some of the playoff talk and, and recapping a little bit of the games, but I think that ESPN has uh, thoroughly covered it at every possible opportunity during every single Rose, every single bowl game, every commercial break, every halftime. I think they've talked ad nauseum about it, so I'm tired of hearing about the college football playoff. I'm sure you all are as well. Uh, so we'll just focus on the Rose Bowl for this one. And at the end of the day, you know, in, in what would be considered a down year for Ohio State by most people, they still finished the season 11 and two. They won the Rose Bowl, and they'll probably finish ranked in the top five. So. You know, as as frustrating as things were this year, and as as you know, as Ohio State fans, we obviously want national titles at the end of the year. I think that you know, ninety eight percent of fan bases would probably take that outcome on any given season. Oh, for sure, you're not going to win a title every year. Like, sorry, we're not Alabama, and yes, we should hopefully be in a position to contend for one. But them's the breaks. Like that's just. We should feel very, 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 very fortunate that Ohio State football, the program is in the situation that it's in. What would you rather be, right? You know, Clemson was a dynasty or seemed like a dynasty in the making. And, you know, they had to scratch and claw to get 10 wins this year. They lost their whole staff. Oklahoma, they're up and down. Um, Michigan was up this year. They've been down for the last decade plus. So, Pick a team, and I'll, I can kind of shoot a hole in their case. We're, we're very fortunate 
to root for a team that's always in contention, that finishes with 10 or 11 wins. And hell, I mean, we were almost in three consecutive playoffs. Didn't happen. And we won a hell of a Rose Bowl game. So just, you know, be happy with that is what I would say to a lot of fans. Yeah. Nick Saban, please retire. You've done enough. We get it. You you win. You always win. We get it. Just just stop. Please retire. Go go off into the sunset and just leave the rest of us alone. Leave the rest of college football to, to fight amongst themselves and, and let everything else get back to normal. So everything, you know, the, the more teams can win a title other than Alabama. But uh, also there, just just as a side note there, Alabama's the underdog in that game. Betting wise, I will be hammering Alabama in that game. I don't know what Vegas knows that I don't, but I, I don't. I don't know if anybody watched the SEC title game. It wasn't pretty. Um, and so that, that is an interesting thing. I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit more, uh, well, later in the so week. Here's what I want to know now that the season is over for all but two teams. I wonder how many where, you know, air quote analysts, Nick Saban will add to his staff. That would probably come into my betting and like, you know, what I would want the spread to be. Cause you know, he's probably going, going to go and get six analysts who are leaving other jobs and they're just going to come and coach like the guards and the outside linebackers and the free safeties. Like there's going to be an analyst that has experience in the NFL to coach every three players on the roster. So I'm not bitter, but you know, let's see how that shakes out before you make your bets, Gene. Josh, how could you forget? There's still one very important bowl game to be played between LSU and Kansas State. What? Yeah, it's on Tuesday. For what? For why? I, I don't know. It's at 9 p.m. on ESPN on Tuesday. Tune in. <laughs> yeah, sure. Count me in, man. Yeah, we'll be there. But regardless, uh, while you guys are... are... Is, Ryan, is Brian Kelly going to give a country concert at halftime? I hope so. But while you all are clearing out your schedule to watch that exciting football game, uh, we will be getting out of here now. As always, be sure to like, rate, view, subscribe, all that good stuff for the podcast. Check out all of our, our content here at Land Grant Holy Land. Uh, there's probably going to be some recruiting stuff coming down the pipeline uh, later today and, and later in the week. So be sure to look out for that. Um, and then, yeah, other than that, we will uh, we will see you sometime later this week. We'll get back to our, our off-season podcast of one a week, probably midweek most weeks. Um, and, yeah, that, that thing, I think that's all we got to start off 2022. Like I said, Ohio State starts off the new calendar year with a win, takes some momentum into next season, and we are, we are both excited for the direction of the program. So for Josh Dooley, I am Gene Ross, and as always, go Bucks. Go Bucks.